Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive, or if you think like one, and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Metcalf, founder of X-Quadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve extraordinary results. And no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. In this episode, I speak with Conrad Weisker, CEO of Spirosoft, and we talk about how he managed to build Europe's fifth fastest growing company with over 700 employees in just five years. We'll look at the marketing strategy that he used to get a really fast start and to jump start the whole business. And then the marketing innovation that managed to put them into a blue ocean, really with very little competition with their key customers. They also made a choice not to be innovative, which we'll also get into, which is extremely interesting. So this is a fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy it. Enjoy this conversation with Conrad Weisker. Hello, Conrad. Hello. Hello, Richard. Hey, it's great to see you. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. So today we're going to jump into uh, your secret of scaling, because uh, you know, I know that you've built uh, Inspirosoft, a business which has which made the, the very top of the Financial Times fastest growing companies list, right? I think number five, which is incredible achievement for a company that um, you know, started about even less than five years ago, or perhaps about five years ago, and now you know, has 700 employees and is still growing really strongly. So... I'm really excited today to be able to jump in and understand some of the highs and the lows as you've built that business up from really nothing. Yep. Yeah, well, that's precisely it. So we've, <laughs> we managed to build it from scratch in less than five years because the company itself, it's not, uh, well, it's technically speaking five years old, but we actually only started doing something for real in October 2016. So uh, that's not when even. we mm. managed to win the first client. So it's not even five years old. Yeah, yeah not even five years. So yeah, fantastic. And I know as, as we spoke just, just beforehand, you know, you mentioned that in this business, you can't be small, right? And so you're obviously going for scale. Uh, and you've got ambitions around that area. So before we jump into that, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the backstory? Because I think you've got some motivation, like what, what drives you. Um, I know you said, you know, you had perhaps things in your, your, your youth, your childhood, whatever, that has kind of lit the fire inside you to make you this entrepreneur now on a mission. What's, what's, uh, what's the story? Well, I'm quite sure that the, my experience in my formative years played a role in that, what, is, what we are having now. So, well, uh, I grew up in communist Poland in 1980, so it, is, uh, mm. it wasn't a very cheerful place, okay? So I grew up in a town that was next to one of the biggest copper smelters in Europe. So, well, and that was the time when the communist regime started falling apart for real, so... Well, uh, let's uh, let me tell you that we had to go through several difficulties like rationed food and all that. Okay, mm. so uh, my I would say childhood memories revolve around one simple fact: I wanted to lift myself out of the misery, okay, and do something with my life, okay, to change something because what I had was by far not really acceptable. 
Uh, so, uh, let me interrupt you for a second. It's really interesting, right? Because just that point of hardship yeah. leading to kind of drive, it's really in interesting because often we try to give our kids like this kind of non, you know, no hardship environment. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one of my other kind of clients uh, is a very successful tech CEO. You know, his father died when he was pretty young, very different form, but that created a sense in him the world's not a safe place, you know, I need to like, get on with things. And it's a different thing, but it created a drive. Now, it wasn't always healthy, I think probably he overworked and did other things that perhaps he had to sort out. But it still made him incredibly um, high performer because of it. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I definitely agree with that. Okay, so, uh, well, hardship is not probably what you want for your children. Okay, quite the opposite, actually. Mm. But uh, the fact is that sometimes when they go through some hard times, then they are more effective in their future life because they are simply more motivated. They have this drive you mentioned and yeah. this uh, urgency to change something. Okay, because what they have is not really good. Okay. So it is lacking in all possible areas. Mm. So I think also thanks to that, I decided that there was, well, I, I had to choose a domain at the time. Okay. When you are relatively young, you know, the problem with being young is that you make uh, decisions that will shape your life when you are relatively, let mm. me tell it straight, stupid. Okay. So you're relatively unexperienced and yeah. yet you have to make those decisions. But I actually made quite a, quite a good decision because I decided to study IT. Okay. Mm. Uh, to me, it was one of the springboards to success. I, to be absolutely honest with you, I never felt a particular vocation for programming, okay? But I was clever enough to be able to master it. Mm. So I thought it would be a great idea to do it because I knew one thing, there is money in that in the long run, mm. okay? And well, success, well, impact, okay? If you want to put it like that. Yeah, yeah I, th well, I think often, you know, I think what I tell my kids is, uh, you know, look for a rising tide, you know, look for yes. a trend, Yes, and exactly. get involved in that. It's much more interesting than uh, being on a declining industry, find something that's growing and there's yeah. new things happening. Well, it's also a question what you can afford, right? So if you're born into a relatively well-to-do family and then you have a vocation to be a painter and you can afford it, then uh, it's probably worthwhile to do that, okay? Because it's, it makes you happier in your life, maybe. But if you... You're, well, if you don't have the choice, then it's probably better to choose something mm. that has a future. And well, IT it was quite clear to everyone at the time, had a bright mm. future ahead of it. So, well, I decided to study it. I was quite good at it. I was never uh, the best at it, but I was quite good. I was decent. But to be honest, uh, to me, it was always more interesting how people work than how things work. Okay. Mm. Because things are predictable. And uh, well, two plus two is always four. And when it comes to people, it can be, well, basically any number. And I found it uh, always very fascinating. Well, when I, when I moved into, um, into what I currently do now, working with high-level leaders, uh, you know, uh, some people asked me, well, Richard, in the earlier part of your career, you, know, you were doing strategy, you were doing um, numbers, analysis, these kind of things. And, uh, and a friend of mine pointed out, he said, well, you know, you've always liked working in technology. You're now going to focus on the hardest technology of all, which is human beings and the human brain, right? Which is the hardest, most complex technology. So, but let's, so let's jump forward. Um, yeah. So yeah, you had this, this background and I know you went then went into the, you know, you've studied, you got, you know, you went into programming. Uh, and then I think there was a moment in one of, you know, when you were, you know, you worked in a corporate setting um, and then there was a moment when you decided to set up your own business so just tell me just you know very quickly what was that transition point 
Well, the transition point was that the company I worked for, I was a member of the management board uh, of one of the largest uh, IT outsourcing companies in Poland. Okay, so it was okay. a it was a nice job. Okay, also very well paid, but mm. uh, and it gave me a lot of satisfaction up to a point. So the point was when uh, the company got sold to a private equity fund, and mm. uh, the strategy of the fund was not something I could agree with. Okay, I'm not really judging whether it was a good or bad strategy. It was, simply wasn't me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the only logical conclusion in such circumstances is to leave. Okay, because if the difficulties are too difficult to reconcile them. So when I did, I uh, thought that it would be a great idea to set up an, my own company because I was in my late 30s. So I had like 20 years of experience in the domain, in the field mm. already. On the other hand, I, was, I had enough energy to start yeah. something on my own. And well, because of my past, I was uh, relatively successful in that business. Okay, I also had some financial means. So I knew I don't have to... Um, make a particular amount of money every month in order to uh, pay for Get my food or to right. provide for my family, for example. Okay, mm. so I was in a good position in a way, and I was lucky in a way. And then I decided to uh, call a couple of friends uh, that I met throughout my career, based in different places in Germany, also in the UK, and to suggest that we could set up a company together. So the success of the company is obviously not only my success. It's a success of a lot of people that contributed mm. to it and are still contributing to it. And are still. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that was in, um, that was um, in, I'm losing my date now, 2016. Okay. And okay. so you brought together these, these other partners, these friends. And, um, and so just tell us, just the sense of scale over that period, right? So you started off then, and so five years later, what, just tell us, you know, I know you've got a number of different companies, you've got a number of different sites, just give us a sense of the scale of, of what you've built with Spirosoft. Uh, right, so it's a company that currently employs around 700 people and also borrows several dozens from other companies because we can't hire people quickly enough. And it's uh, it's still a small it's still a small company, okay. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. We are not a we're not a huge company. We don't turn over a billion US dollars. Uh, well, our turnover for the last year was around twenty five billion uh, pounds, and mm-hmm. to a healthy EBIT of uh, around fifteen percent. Oh, well, it was actually mm-hmm. 16, 17. Okay, so it's a small, I would say, mm-hmm. enterprise. But the fact is that we managed to build it from scratch in less than five years yeah. with a modest investment of less than two hundred thousand pounds which is, I think, something that counts. And we did it without any external support. So no financial institution, no backing. Nobody took us under the wing or anything like that. We all did it, we did it ourselves. And um, I think that's, a, that's, a, that's quite an achievement. Yeah, for, for Yeah, and so, yeah, it's great. And so, and, and I know things are continuing to happen, right? So you're only five years in, right? I mean, there's plenty more to go. Uh, what, so, you know, you say you say you're small, but say 700 people, that's a complex organization already to run, uh, especially from an organization that didn't exist just over you know, five years ago. So what were things that you did really well that helped you build that traction in the marketplace and helped you scale? How did you do that? Okay, so obviously we chose a domain we knew fairly well, okay, because all of the people that we employed, all of the people that became founders of the company were people who had at least 20 years of experience in, yeah. in the field. And we even had a policy, we deviated from it slightly, 
lately. But uh, we had a policy that everybody whom we employ should have background in IT, even a receptionist should have previous record of working in an IT company because we were an IT company. Okay, so we wanted to create an environment for specialists, for engineers uh, like ourselves, because all of us we used to be engineers. So technically, uh, mm. I still am, <laughs> but I uh, well, I, I got a bit rusty uh, lately. But so we created this company that, and in this space where we knew how things are working. Okay, another thing I think was very important. We decided not to be very innovative. Okay, and I know it sounds like a blasphemy, okay, because everybody has to disrupt everything and you have to be <laughs> super innovative, otherwise, you don't even count. But I think the sad reality is that if you're innovative, then you have to educate the market, and education of the market takes a lot of time. And um, yeah. more, I think, in most cases, it's, it's a failure, okay. But yeah. this is if you're a company that is, you know, that is large, okay, then you can afford the failure, and if you're just a small startup, then well, I don't think we could have, <laughs> you could afford that. So we decided to choose a domain we knew very well, and we decided not to be very innovative. We just decided to do things slightly better than the competition, which we knew very well. Okay? So that was, uh, I think, one of the reasons why we became so successful. And also okay. that uh, we, as shareholders, we are still actively involved in running of the company. So we have skin in the game. I mean, for real, right? We are not just a bunch mm-hmm. of hired managers that work for some financial institutions in fact yeah so, yeah that's also very important and 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 um i know you we talked as well a little bit about how you found customers right and you didn't necessarily look in the t- typical places so do you want to talk about how you're able to acquire customers so fast yeah well it's a uh, um, this uh, uh, part of it outsourcing that we do called uh, uh, custom software development it's a uh, it's a highly specialized business okay and it's also very special in one regard so what you buy is a promise you in fact buy a promise of a service it's not like you when you buy a car then you can obviously have a test drive and even if the salesperson is terrible and you still like the car and the price price is right then you're going to buy the car it's called um yeah this is called and there's a book on this it's called selling the invisible right services um yeah, services are invisible. And you say you buy a promise, right? Whether it's me, you know, people yeah. buy the promise of, of their consulting or coaching, right? With you, they buy the promise of the IT work. Um, even when you order a, you know, even when you order a pizza, you, you're hoping they're gonna, it's going to be delivered on time and it's going to be nice yeah. and everything else, right? Service marketing is hard. Exactly. But uh, pizza is relatively cheap, okay? Even if the pizza is terrible, you're not going to eat it. You're going to order another pizza, okay? Right. And it's, Unless you're extremely hungry, it's not so important mm. in your life. But the fact is that what we sell is actually quite expensive. Okay, mm. so mm. the cost of failure is very high. Uh, so uh, on on the one hand, you cannot see it; you don't know what it's going to be. On the other hand, it's also very expensive. So what mm. do you do? You only buy it from people that are trustworthy, that you know, and that you trust. So because of the fact that many of us had a lot of experience in, in the area, we knew a lot of people we could sell our services to. So that was uh, that helped us enormously, okay? Because a new company on the market that is quite crowded, to be honest, there are a lot of IT outsourcing co- mm-hmm. outsourcing companies out there, doesn't stand a chance unless it is backed by people who have uh, who are relatively well connected yes. in terms of who they can sell the services to. So we had a long list of potential clients, and well, I personally started with those clients that I knew very very well. So I basically came up to them and told them, listen, if you're not buying this from me, then I don't want to be a friend anymore, okay? 
<laughs> was almost like a blackmail, okay? Hey, come on, mate, you have to help me do that. I know you need it, you know me, you know I'm going to do the best possible job, right? So buy this for me. Mm. And they did, okay? And well, we also have uh, other sales strategies by now. <laughs> basically, but, yeah, but I'm gonna have that. I basically blackmailed my first clients. I love it. It's a great quote. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's um, well, it's. I mean, not for real. I, but, I know. No. I uh, emotionally well, you know, sometimes uh, you have to be quite persistent. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's actually really interesting. I um, share a personal story for a second. I yeah, when I set up my own business, I spoke with one friend who was very well connected in a very big corporate just wanted to talk to him about what I was doing right I wasn't making a pitch really but he was he was so I'm not going to listen to it I don't want to yeah. have I don't want to work and friends are totally separate and I was like well how can you be my friend if you don't want to um, even listen to me in my time of you know need right where I'm sitting up and trying to build my business from scratch right it just didn't make sense to me so yeah. I do understand Absolutely. where you're coming from yeah so I'm not inviting you to my son to my son's birthday if you don't buy from me so, okay, so, so, so the first, yeah, so you had relationship-led marketing, right? You know, you, you, you built, obviously, on your relationships. It makes a lot of sense, right? Especially when you're at that high level. As you said, it's, um, I think it's Reid Hoffman who says, you know, just in order to scale, you have to start by doing things that don't scale. You know, you, yeah. have, to, you, you have to use your own network and everything else. Um, and then, so then explain why you didn't focus on the major markets like London and, and um, you know, other other key Absolutely. centers of where there's lots of businesses you, you, you don't do that right you go to other places so tell us about that uh, so uh, well it sounds lo- almost like a mistake right so if you want to grow your business fast then you should go to places where there is a lot of business right mm-hmm. well the problem with that is there's also a lot of competition there mm. okay so instead of uh, those big say cities where a lot of large businesses are based we decided that there is a, a a huge niche full of companies, great companies, fantastic companies that is underserved by, say, the IT outsourcing industry. So instead of uh, going for HSBC or Lloyd's, okay, we decided to go to places like Southampton or Leicester, where there are still a lot of mid-sized companies that uh, find it difficult to get decent IT services for decent price. Okay? Mm. The, the the chances of doing that are very limited. Uh, well, because they are too small for large outsourcing companies, especially if there is no airport nearby. Okay? And on the other hand, the sophistication of the service they need by far outstrips what smaller okay. companies or right. people without experience can provide. So, And th- if you think of it, this niche is relatively large. And for a mid-sized company or smaller company, which we are still at the moment, uh, it is actually a great opportunity. Also, I, uh, well, we all know that companies of similar size find it easier to cooperate with each other, right? So mm. if you have a 100 million business based in Leicester, well, and you have a large uh, Indian outsourcing company that employs uh, 500,000 people, I mean, these yeah. people will feel a bit awkward to work with such a gigantic company, right? So we are just the right size for them. And these companies are, are great, okay? They have a plan, they have a vision. They Very often you speak to the key decision makers who are the founders, who are the owners of the company. Uh, and they have a long-term strategy, okay? And they are looking for long-term partnership. Mm. And they can be very loyal if you provide them with really good quality service. 
And to be absolutely honest with you, the UK is a, is a great market for us, okay? Because uh, it's very easy to do business with uh, UK-based companies and also the IT culture of those companies is relatively high. Mm. But uh, 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 Germany, which is also a very important market to us, it's similar size as the UK, mm. is completely different, okay? And it's, uh, well, especially in Germany, when you want to approach those mid-sized companies, the German Mittelstand, then you need to have the domain knowledge, okay? So let's imagine they are, you have a company that manufactures uh, diggers, okay? G- Germans are famous for manufacturing hardware, being a driller or yeah, a digger yeah. or auto, yeah? <laughs> then you approach that company yeah. and what they, they manufacture diggers, okay? To them, IT is uh, their web page, CRM system, ERP system, and, you know, these people in the basement, literally, yeah. okay? And what they talk to you about is the diggers and you talk to them about uh, IT, about agile, about uh, how you would like to do software for them. There is absolutely no understanding. Right. You have to, yeah, them. you have to speak the business language. Yeah, exactly. And obviously they are, they, their needs are enormous because selling diggers is a very old fashioned business. What you want to sell now is the holding the ground. Yeah. So you build a service around the digger. There is no more than mm. service without software. And these companies have no software development culture whatsoever. Mm. So you have to bridge the gap, okay? You need Mm. to bring in consultants. And obviously, there are large consulting companies, but they don't necessarily do the development part. They are very expensive. And, Mm. well, some people are reluctant to work with them because of bad experience in the past. So here is us, mid-sized company that offers precisely that. These conversations are all about scaling yourself to scale your business. And one of the biggest barriers that stops us from doing that is getting stuck in operations and not spending time on the most valuable strategic work. So I do recommend that you take our free executive productivity assessment. It's just 10 quick questions to find out exactly where you are on the journey to executive time management mastery. You'll then discover how you can free yourself up for more strategic activity. Take the assessment, head to xquadrant.com slash go slash productivity assessment with a hyphen between those two last words. Now, back to the conversation. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is, um, you know, you said you weren't innovative, but perhaps not on the product side, but actually you have kind of innovated really in about your marketing strategy and um, in a sense, you've found your own blue ocean strategy, right? The idea of the blue ocean, right? Which is where there's no other shark swimming, you know, there's no red <laughs> bloody water. You know, you, you've, you've found this niche, right? If you go to Leicester or somewhere, uh, there's, there's going to be le- less competition um, because you're going to have the high end people who aren't there and the low end people who perhaps can't solve all the problems that need solving. So I think this is, this is a great... Um, a great kind of strategy, obviously, to, to drive the demand to help you scale. What about internally? What about the operations, right? So how, you know, what were the kind of internal, um, you know, how did you, what did you do to make it easy to scale internally? I'm sure there were lots of issues, but what, what, was, what was something you did well, would you say? Right, so what we did well, so for, uh, well, uh, I had a very detailed, not a very detailed, but I had a solid plan of what I want to achieve, okay? And it was quite detailed, and it was really under the assumption that the company is going to be uh, relatively big. Mm-hmm. So I had the uh, target organizational structure, for example. OK, 
Okay. Right. Even when the company was just uh, five people. Okay. When we had five people already knew what I would be doing what, when we have 100, 500, 600, 700 people. So we had a clear strategy, a clear goal. I had absolutely no idea when I'm going to get there, yeah. but I knew fairly well what it's going to look like. So uh, that's one thing. Then I also thought about my strong suits and, well, areas where I'm lacking. Okay? So I knew, for example, that I'm a quite a good salesperson. I am quite credible and I can sell our services. And I also have partners who are great at that. But when it comes to financial matters, and I shouldn't be probably saying that, but I'm not good at that, okay, to mm-hmm. put it mildly. Well, I, I, I can count, but when it comes to uh, dealing with banks or financial institutions and so on, I have little experience and I only have bad experience and I, it's not me. Okay, so yeah. I needed to see a phone. So, well, when we started the company, the first person we hired actually, and well, who co-founded the company with us was a very experienced chief financial officer. Mm. Another place where I needed support was actually technology, which sounds funny because we are a technology company. We are the fastest growing technology company in Europe. And the, the CEO is uh, very rusty when it comes to technology. I used to be an engineer, a programmer. I'm not anymore. So I knew that one of the first people I need is actually a CTO because yeah. he complements me with his strengths. Okay, so... I was like, it has to be uh, something that is sort of bulletproof, okay? That uh, the weakness that I have because of me has to be uh, supplemented by the fact that I hire somebody who's uh, strong in that in that mm, area. Absolutely. So that was another factor. And, and, um, and as you grew so fast in such a short period of time, right, onboarding 700 people and you say having thousands of others users, contractors, uh, what were some of the the growing pains in that or, you know, or what were some of the things that you did to allow you to onboard so many people, right? Because that's a big challenge. Yeah. So um, what was important is that we really wanted to make a difference. Okay. We wanted to be a company that is different, that is actually a great place to work for specialists and engineers and not because we provide them with free food, uh, because we want them to make a difference. We want to hear them and we want to do what they say. Okay, mm-hmm. if they and I don't think we will ever lose that quality. So, if somebody comes up to me and tells me, Listen, Conrad, this doesn't work, okay, this is plainly speaking stupid, okay, mm-hmm. then, uh, then, well, within minutes, we will not do that anymore, okay. And I don't care who that person is, and I don't care if I offend internally a, an important person whose hobby horse that happens to be, it doesn't matter, okay, because the engineers, the people who matter tell me this is not working. The only reason why a company exists is a project, okay? All other functions, including mm. myself, are support. We only exist yeah. because we do projects. So if these are the important people and they should have a say. So based on that principle, uh, mm. we managed to hire people relatively quickly because they trusted us because we were also genuine about it. It wasn't just, mm. you know, something we made up. I strongly believe in this, okay? So bottom-up yeah, culture, right? An engineer-led yeah. bottom-up. Yeah. When we draw uh, organizational structure, then the project, the engineers, the specialists are always on top. Okay. I'm always at the bottom because Mm. if the company doesn't have me, well, they will survive. Mm. If it doesn't have them, it will never survive. Well, it's it's quite obvious, but uh, when people say that, but then in real life, it is quite hard to implement because, well, you know, bosses, the C-level people, they tend to think of themselves as almost gods sometimes. Okay. 
And if somebody does that, then it's, I think it's a road to disaster. But uh, what was also challenging was the fact that we started as a, well, a, a small company of one, and, and then the role of the CEO of C-level uh, people changes very quickly. Basically, every quarter, we had to do something new. And mm. obviously, there was a gap we left in our wake, and that mm. gap had to be filled by some other people. So we needed to find people who would do something that we are not doing anymore. And that is especially challenging. Okay, because you start a company with a couple of guys that mm. know the business inside out, but then where do you get these additional people from? Okay, what did, and how did you solve that? How did you, you know, how? What's your kind of secret system for uh, filling the gap? There is one actually. Okay, so we decided that we are actually sort of a platform on which you can build. Okay, and there are a lot of talented individuals, but. They have very good jobs, okay? They have very nice salaries. They ha even have option programs. So how do you attract these talents to a company that is relatively young? So we gave them the opportunity to become founders themselves, okay? So we founded several sister companies mm. and they are shareholders. They also have option programs, but they became shareholders from the one and they are CEOs of those companies. Mm. And well, our management is sort of light touch. Okay, so sometimes, to be absolutely honest with you, I think I would do that differently, but I'm not really telling them that, okay? Yeah. Even if they fail, well, then it's their decision, uh, unless uh, it is something terribly stupid, but it, it never happens, okay? So we give them this opportunity, and then they join us. Otherwise, I don't think they would have ever joined us. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. That keeps the entrepreneurial spirit alive, right? It, it decentralizes even more. Uh, there's a lot of powerful things from that, right? But it also poses a threat, which is quite obvious, okay? You end up with a lot of uh, highly ambitious, motivated individuals that may differ when it comes to what needs to be done. So mm. uh, a lot of work, a lot of my time is spent on talking to these people and making sure that we are aligned towards mm. one target. Right. Well, that's, yeah. but if you have strong individuals that have strong personalities, yeah. well, you will end up doing that. So there's always... Yeah. It's a key thing, right? Obviously, one of the things I talk with my clients about is, is, you know, you can have team, you can have a bunch of high performers, or you can have a high performing team, you know, and they're not the same thing, because you can have really incredible people in the same room, but it doesn't make, it doesn't make synergy necessarily, right? Well, um, the thing is, uh, our strategy, at least, is to have those key people, and we, we welcome more, no problem, mm. but these people build their own teams, but itself this is a, just a team of people right so managing egos is part of the job right? mm, love it yeah so what um what was something that you did less well right what was a stumbling block what was you know an area which made growth painful perhaps for a while yeah well it was uh, that we didn't invest enough uh, in marketing uh, early enough well, we were uh, relatively successful, okay? The company grew very, very, very quickly. So we had little, uh, based on our old method of uh, contacting the people that we knew, and this network, well, in theory, if you think of it, the network of people you can contact, you can sell your services to, should shrink, okay? It should become smaller. Mm -hmm. Well, in fact, it, it, the process is relatively slow. So you can continue for years without really having a strong marketing department. So we didn't do that, as simple as that, because we didn't need that. And I severely underestimated the time that it would take us to set up a properly working marketing department. Okay? Mm. It was far more difficult than I anticipated. So we didn't do that early enough and we didn't invest enough money. 
And what works uh, for you in marketing? What kind of things do you do if, if that's not giving away too many secrets? You know, what? Oh, oh, absolutely not. So, uh, well, what works general in marketing is uh, personal branding. That's mm. one thing. Because uh, as we mentioned earlier, right? So you will uh, only buy it, this type of service from a person that is trustworthy and you know relatively well. So an expert mm. in the field. Okay, so personal branding is important and also content marketing. So you mm-hmm. have to provide these people with some useful piece of advice, okay, on how to do this. And it's uh, not just sell it, okay. I think the secret is not to sell it. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> yep, because there is, uh, that's the strange thing about this market. There is a lot of demand. Mm-hmm. There is more demand than supply, yet it is not that easy to win a client, okay. And it's because of the fact that the the services cost a lot of money and there has to be a lot of trust involved in order to, to sell it. So that was one thing we didn't do particularly well, which was the marketing part. And then another thing, which is, uh, I have to admit it, we didn't do enough uh, CSR, okay, corporate social responsibility. So we are not doing enough in that space. I, and why is that important to you? I mean, obviously. Uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it, you do, are you just saying it or is it, you know. No, uh, it is you, important. You mean it. What, what, yeah, uh, I'm glad to hear, yeah. but tell me why. Yeah. What's, yeah. what's driving uh, you there? Uh, I think it is also because of the experience of my formative years. Okay. I believe there are a lot of talented people out there who never had an opportunity that some other people enjoy. Okay. Mm. Because they're not lucky enough because, well, they were born in the wrong place or born into wrong families. Okay, so uh, and if you think of it, we as a company, we can benefit from that. And we as a society can benefit from the fact that they get some support. Okay, Mm. and uh, well, this is not because we want to make more money. Okay, this may help us a little bit. But I strongly believe that if we support these children, these young people at a relatively early stage, then we will all benefit. Okay, Mm. and also, I'm sure you notice that yourself. The older you get, the more you think about things that are less uh, related to money and more important to the fact that we should make a lasting impact. Okay. So, hey, man, this is the name of the podcast, right? Impact Multiplier. Yeah. That's what I'm about, right? Is yeah. helping people do exactly what you're saying. Yep. So once the, say, financial needs are more or less satisfied, you start thinking about the bigger things. Hmm. But I think it is something that we owe the society, okay? So we use this pool of talent. We to hire well-educated people so we should do something to replenish that okay and i uh, i have to admit we are not doing enough in that space but i i, I will improve i got it thank you for thank you for sharing all that so looking forward um you know no matter how much we've achieved there's always a next level to get to so what's next for you in the business well, obviously, the company should grow. As you mentioned, there is one, well, there are several rules, but probably the most important one is don't be small. Okay, so we have to grow as a service company, and that means that we need to hire more people. And if we need to hire more people, then we need to look for them in other places. Okay, so I'm, I'm quite sure that we are going to open uh, another location in uh, Latin America pretty mm. soon. Okay, and that means that we need to more clients and uh, obviously more people. But what we also should do is we need to broaden the scope of our services. We need to add more services to our portfolio because there are still, there are still some things that we don't do and our clients want it. And uh, I think we can do that very quickly by acquisitions. So uh, the company is, has grown somewhat. So we have some financial means at our disposal. So we would like to inv- invest it in, uh, in some other companies that do things that are complementary to what we do. 
And how do you think your role as a leader will change as you do that? What will you, what will you do more of and less of in the future? Uh, well, that's a very good question. So the time will show, but I strongly believe that uh, it's, uh, I will be less and less involved in day-to-day uh, running of the business, and it's more, more and more, uh, str- it's, the role is more and more strategic, okay? So more of an influencer than, say, doer, okay? Because it's once, uh, well, you know, once the company gets bigger, I think everybody loses touch with what, what is going on, okay? I think... Not many people want to admit it, but say a company of 100,000 people and you're at the top. Do you really know what these people are doing? I highly doubt it. Okay. So you can set a direction. You can share with them what the company should be, but you will never know what they are doing. Okay. Especially that we are talking about knowledge-based organization. Okay. I have no idea what these guys are doing. So Mm -hmm. I can only try to influence and nudge them gently in certain direction. Yeah. I think indirect power is the key lever for CEOs, in fact, because... Uh, if you actually use direct power, which you have, you actually demotivate and disempower people. Uh, it's like, you know, your job is not to water the plants, it's to build the greenhouse around the plants that allows everything to thrive and grow and be healthy, right? And that's the job, I think, of the CEO. So it's um, more of an ideology, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of company do you want to be? Right, so is this... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's setting, it's setting the parameters around everything else. Yeah, exactly. Hey, well, this has been a great conversation. Thanks, uh, Conrad, for um, for uh, just being so open and talking about the highs and the lows of the journey. It's really been fascinating. If people want to get in touch with you or find out more about Spirosoft, where should they best go? Well, they should go to our webpage, okay, or contact me directly. I'm always very happy to have a chat with, uh, with people that are interested in our company. It doesn't have to be clients, okay? It's just people who, are, well, to be absolutely honest with you, I very often have a lot of conversations, and I don't know why, okay? But then it turns out that they actually made sense. It's always uh, great mm-hmm. to meet uh, interesting people. So just let me know. Ping mm-hmm. me on LinkedIn or, you know, or on our webpage, mm-hmm. and I'll be very happy to have a chat. Thank you. I just want to just slow down on that very end point and we could just say goodbye. But actually that point there is, is really great because it's that openness to serendipity, right? Openness to just a random conversation, creating things. And I've noticed that there are leaders who are, who are kind of high performing, but they kind of stagnate in a sense because they're so focused on their goals that they don't let anything else in. And they just miss the, the magic that can happen with a random conversation, a new connection, because they're so laser focused on this quarter's KPIs. And it's just having a little bit of that extra randomness in the mix that Absolutely. opens up opportunities. So that's just a great little extra bonus learning point at the very end there. So thanks again, Karad. Um, Thank many, many thanks for the, the detailed conversation. Thanks. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? Who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level? If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching, and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.